Good evening. Um, I'm Kathleen Neal, and on behalf of the Pratt Library and the Poetry Programming Group, I'd like to welcome you tonight to a great evening of poetry and conversation with two Baltimore-born, award-winning poets, Reggie Harris and Haley Lighthouser. And, you know, just a little bit before we begin, I just want to mention that um, on November 12th, we'll also have another poetry reading with Elizabeth Spires and Joelle Beal. And um, there's a little flyers in the back for that. So, And um, we will be closing soon here, but, you know, when next, we welcome you to come back when we are open to go up to our humanities department and peruse all the wonderful poetry books and literature books we have as well as our periodicals department and all of our departments here at Pratt. Um, there's a lot to discover here. So I'm going to first, we're going to, um, Haley um, Leithauser, is, is Lighthouser, I'm sorry. <laughs> Should have asked you that before. The, um, I'm, she's going to read first for about 15, 20 minutes, and then um, Reggie Harris will read. Um, Haley was born in Baltimore, and her journey to her first book includes many experiences. As the Poetry Foundation describes, she has been a salad chef, real estate office manager, gourmet food salesperson, freelance copy editor, phone surveyor, bookstore clerk, and senior reference librarian at the Department of Energy in Washington. She currently is the coordinator for the Cafe Muse Reading Series in Silver Spring, Maryland. Her first book, Swoop, was the winner of the Poetry Foundation's 2012 Emily Dickinson First Book Award and was also named one of the top 10 poetry titles of fall 2013 by Publishers Weekly. Her work has appeared widely in journals and anthologies, including the Antioch Review, the Gettysburg Review, Poetry, the Southwest Review, and the Best American Poetry. And she has been the recipient of the Discovery Nation Prize and an individual's artist grant from the Maryland State Arts Council. In Swoop, Miss Lighthouser's Emily Dickinson First Book Award winning volume from the Poetry Foundation, Miss Lighthouser's richness of language and image present the reader with a cornucopia of sound, sensation, and lyrical lushness writing in many forms that seem constantly pushed at the seams by the rhythmic stream of wordplay. These poems take the reader to an almost ancient realm, a primordial world of things, objects, and nature that have tales to tell. A voice is given to the scythe, ancient field mower, who would cultivate myths, and a crowbar who fancies itself the lost doppelganger of a mid-century saber, and in a celebratory pan to the eternal moon becomes butter-colored breast, not a tub, but a ton of this, unscented lust. With the feel and sound of adult nursery rhymes, the sensual is explored, alfresco, circumspect, odalisque, rubenesque, and obstreperous, as the reader feels plunged into the confusions and unglamorous real world of the flesh. As one reviewer stated, Miss Lighthouser's poems convey the sensation of drowning in word nectar. And in reading these poems, we do feel submerged in scent, color, sound, and image. 
But the surprise and delight is that we find we can not only still breathe in this subterranean state, but breathe more deeply. I welcome Ms. Lighthouser. Thank you. Um, first, I want to thank the, the library, um, Lisa and Kathleen, for having me here. This is such an incredibly beautiful environment to be in. And uh, because it is the Poe Room, and because it is uh, Halloween's Eve, I wrote a, uh, a poem just for tonight. Um, this, the form of this poem is a rondeau. And I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence by assuming you don't know, but in case you don't know. Um, it's a three stanza form, and the first half of the first line is used as the last line of the second and third stanza, which I'm telling you just so you won't think I'm lazy when you hear the lines come back. <laughs> oh, and also, there's a word in here, scut. How many people know what scut means? My friend was right. She said nobody would know what it means. <laughs> a scut is the, the tail of an animal, like a rabbit or a deer, the white tail that when they sort of run past, you see the white tail. So keep that in mind. Ghost story. Neither hide nor hair, nor claw nor talon, nor flitting of scut, nor passive wing, to be seen by light of the kitchen door. Not quill or scales or wool or whisker, pad, paw, withers, shin, not coal of an eye at the fence or in the garden. Neither nail nor fang, bone nor tendon, not muzzle or snout or tufted ear, neither hide nor hair sharing the closet. On the patio stone, no tracks of a footed gathering. Not a charry squeak, not a graceful slither, not in the attic or the shadowed cellar. At the dark bend at the bottom of the stair, no moonlit skin, neither hide nor hair. <laughs> so I was, I was looking for Halloween-y poems to read. Oh, excuse me, let me get my glasses. I had 20-20 vision all my life. And then one morning I woke up and all the print was small. <laughs> Overnight. So I haven't gotten used to wearing these yet. Um, okay, this is, a, um, this is from a series of four poems in here that I call my Weapons of Minor Destruction. It was the first one I wrote, and it's Guillotine. If it could speak, it would say, Tickle, tickle, s'il vous plaît. Or maybe... Redder, redder, or maybe no, never, yes, whichever word is the one word it thinks best. If it could tease, it wouldn't. If it would pause for an honorable cause, it couldn't. It has a cousin, distant, it calls chaise électrique. It has siblings called bomb and called Hello So Long. And it once had an auntie named Cement Overcoat till she learned how to float. It hopes when no longer of purpose or use to the state to reincarnate. And it yearns with a yearning that smolders 
to return as a ladder leading more or less somewhere. A scissor, a razor, a sickle, dropped in high grass, quick as a pin, lost as a nickel, that insistently whispers, fickle and fickle. Uh, the next poem I'm going to read, I wanted an autumn poem. This is from a, um, a four-part poem called Extreme Season. And all of the parts are named after various physical conditions. Um, winter is, is frostbite, spring is delirium, summer is fever, and autumn is dollar. And I wanted to read this one especially because I just shamelessly Googled myself last night and saw that someone had reviewed it on Amazon and he said that Dollar was his favorite poem. So Dollar. How elegant and weird is daggers, this shadow-lingered door, the ragged field, the creak and swell and settling beneath the pantry boards, the scattershot of crow and jay, the harried burrowing of voles, the crops collapse, what withering, what excess scrap, the gourd, the vine, the rust of brittle color spasms saps, and then the blackened ice, the dust-dim walk on boot-rung path, the dark and covert earth, the moon, a great and yellow clock, the worn pen, the cellar shed and north-faced porch, the sear and barren garden locked. Um, I'll do a slightly more cheerful poem. This one is called The Old Woman Gets Drunk with the Moon. And um, Garrison Keillor just read it last week on the Writer's Almanac. Um, and the publicity people at Grey Wolf called me to, or emailed me to let me know that he was going to read it, and I was very curious because you all know Garrison Keillor and he's, he's very dry and he's very mellow and it's a very exuberant poem and so I was very curious to see how he'd read it and uh, he read it very differently than I do and if anyone would like to hear him all you have to do is Google Writer's Almanac and my name or the name of the poem and you can get it up and it's a wonderful program, a podcast to listen to anyway. The old, oh and this is another rondo by the way. The old woman gets drunk with the moon. The moon is rising everywhere. The moon's my favorite easy chair. My tin pot top, my green plum tree, my brassy buttoned cavalry tap dancing up a crystal stair. Oh, watch them pitch and take the air like shoe fly pies and signal flares, like clotted cream and bumblebees. The moon's arising. How hits the spot? How debonair, what swooned balloons of savoir faire, what purr of rain-blurred bright marquees that linger late, that wait for me, will someday rest my cold bones there in moons that rise up everywhere. Uh, this next one is called Bad Sheep, and... All of the poems in this book, except for this poem, contain palindromes. And this is the most palindromy sounding poem, I think, in the whole book. But it's the only one that doesn't. And if, when you're listening to this poem, you hear words that you don't know the definitions of, don't feel bad because I had to look them up myself. 
I had to go through several dictionaries and thesauri to get all of these words. And uh, if you just, you know, if you get into a word like atrematous and fuliginous, it just assume everything means dark, sooty, inky, black in some way. Bad sheep. Midnight's merely blue, but me, me, me. I'm through and through slow. Cracked soot on a boot, nicotine spat, licorice whip. You can scratch, 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 but I stay under skin true to ebony, ink, crowberry, pitch. Hoist me up by my hooves and shake till I'm shook. I'm still chock full of coke, fuliginous murk. Oh, there's swart in my soul, coal by the bag, cinders and slag, scoriac grit. So please come, comb through my fleece with hands pallid as snow and watch how they grow tarry, raven, stygian, ashed. Or if you wish, clean me with bleach, I won't flinch. Just char down to a core of collagenous marrow, pure carbon, atrematous, utterly piscious, shadowed and starless. Each clumpity clump and eclipse of my heart, raptly reburnishing a wool gather dark. The word atrematous, by the way, was, was just, you know I put in here, and it was one of the words I looked up to do it. And, um, and I've looked in some obscure little dictionary, and after I'd written the poem and after I'd published it, I couldn't remember what it meant. So I'd just get on my dictionary and I'd do, well, define a trematis. And it said, word used by Haley Lighthouser in the poem, Bad Sheep. <laughs> so I felt like Robert Burns, who said, you know, when I wrote this, only God and Robert Burns knew what it meant, and now only God knows. <laughs> But I do know what it means. I found it. It means um, inky. Uh, let me see. Oh, this one. Have you ever had a friend who is going through a breakup and you do not want to be stuck sitting next to her because all she talks about is the breakup and how rotten he treated her or she treated her or whatever and uh, you just don't want to get stuck next to this person? I had two friends or two acquaintances who were going through breakups at the same time and at least I got a poem out of it. It's called O Sorrow, O Bother. O Sorrow, O Bother, a lover who loved her has grown weary of her, has sloughed her and snubbed her and washed his hands of her. So she's sticking a pin again and again in a fiendish maneuver, a re-voodoo do-over. <laughs> That's the palindrome, by the way. A re-voodoo do-over, like a perfected known sin, into an intricate doll, its red paper, rather small heart, and all of its parts, its toes and its kidneys, its spleen and its pinkies, the knees and the jigglies, she's sticking and sticking, and all the while thinking and smiling while thinking of how much it must hurt him to be pricked by her pin be hung by his thumbs in the spin of her brain, thinking and thinking with unended, unblinking, unbended immersion of the lover who loved her and grew weary of her. Um, I wrote 
a couple of poems in a form called the Kirtle Sonnet. And this was a form that was invented by Gerard Manley Hopkins. And he wrote passionately religious poems. And you might say my poems are passionate, but they're not so much religious. They all have sex in the title. This one is called Sex Circumspect. From under dashboards, behind swing doors, dusting dirt from a silk-lined skirt, she emerges lipstick-freshed, her modest bust immaculately buttoned up. Oh, never was there vestal more demure than ardent, pleasing she who urges carnal lures with such schemed subtlety to keep a peak discreet. All l'amours toujours kept under wraps and off the books, purged of leak or rumor, assiduously free of expose, the only tease or ooh-la-la to be observed, one nylon run below the knee. And now we go to a woman who's not quite so circumspect. Oh, and the, I got to tell you the, um, the palindrome for this one, because I was writing this series of these, these Kirtle sonnets, and I had, a, I had a list of about two pages of, of palindromes I was using, and one of them was, Naomi, did I moan? And it's like, I got to get that into one of these sex poems. <laughs> sex obstreperous. Oh, Naomi... Did I moan a moan too odious? Did I rasp a ruined gasp too proud? Was my sweetest lying unenticing and my crooning just palaver chattered to a drone? My pillow talk an awkward spout, my coos a black crow crying. Did I couch a murmur overriding and untuned Growl an innuendo too aroused? Were my signs those of mufflers dying? Did I snore like a platoon? Did I pout or crowd or groan? Oh dear, revered Naomi, was I loud? <laughs> okay, and this is your two poem warning. Um, The Germans have given us some of the most wonderful language. Um, there's marvelous words that have been borrowed from German into English, like doppelganger and weltschmerz. This is my absolute favorite word borrowed from the German, schadenfreude. So often ironic, at times caustic, despotic, and always so honestly, profoundly Teutonic that the mere sight of the word stirs a not-quite-contrite, slight crimp of the lip. How simple the way that it plays to our need to see someone not us, caught in the thrall of a just karmic pratfall, to snigger the gloom of the other guy's grand, moody doom. It's basic, She saddens, he gladdens. He rises, she flops. Diverting enough to name a rare tonic or exotic perfume for it. Sell it in fat-bottomed bottles shaped like a tear. 
an adder of pleasure, a tincture of wire, dabbed coyly, adroitly, at the back of the ear. Okay, the last poem I'm going to read, it's called Oh, She Says. Now, when I was writing this book, a lot of my poems had a lot of O's in them. And I was getting a little self-conscious about it because I read somewhere, and I don't remember who said it, some critic said that a poet is only allowed to use the word O oh, three times in their entire career. And I was using O oh, three times in a poem. So I didn't know whether I'd go back and take them out. And I still had palindromes I wanted to use that had O's in them. And finally I decided, hung for sheep, hung for lamb. I'm going with it. So I wrote O, oh, she says. O, oh, she says, because she loves to say O. Oh. Oh, to this cloud break that ravels the night. Oh, to this moon, its mouthful of sorrow. Oh, shallow grass and the nettle bird's bite. Oh, to heart's flare, its wobbly satellite. Oh, step after step in stumbling tempo. Oh, owl and oak, oh, rout of black bat flight. Oh, moaned in attic and Esperanto. O oh, covetous tongue, O oh, fat fandango, O oh, nat tango in the hot ochred light, O oh, windward leaves in subtle inferno, O oh, flexing of sea, O oh, stars bolted tight, O oh, ludicrous swoon, O oh, blind hindsight, O oh, torching of bridges and blood boiled white, O oh, sparrow and arrow and hell below, O oh, she says, because she loves to say O. Oh. Thank you very much. Thank you, Haley. It was wonderful. Um, now I'm going to introduce um, Reggie Harris, um, whom everyone, I think many people here know. Um, Reggie was born in Baltimore and is a member you know, once and always a member of the Pratt family um, as he formerly worked with Pratt's Information and Technology Department. Um, currently, Reggie is Poetry in the Branches Coordinator and Information Technology Director for Poets House in New York City and lives in Brooklyn. Reggie is the winner of the 2012 Cave Canem Northwestern University Press Poetry Prize for Autogeography. He has been a Pushcart Prize nominee, a recipient of individual artist awards for both poetry and fiction from the Maryland State Arts Council, and finalist for a Lambda Literary Award, and the Forward Book of the Year for Ten Tongues, Poems, um, published in 2002. A Cave Canem Fellow and Associate for the Lambda Literary Foundation's uh, Literary Review, his work has appeared in numerous journals, anthologies, and other publications, including 5 AM, African American Review, Gargoyle, Southwester, and the anthologies Besque Poetry 2008 and The Ringing Ear, Black Poets Lean South. In Reggie's Cave Canem award-winning book, Autogeography, the reader is advised in the opening poem, do not let the poet drive you. He is dangerous, and the drive is long, and the destination unknown. But that advice, like all warnings against journeying into the unknown, is best ignored. As the poet moves us out 
and into the city and landscapes he knows well, on buses, metros, and more than a few cars, into the interior terrain of lives who learn to live with, this is a quote, learn to live with, close enough to write, whatever will make do. We are welcome to reunions with the ghosts of those whose histories bring wisdom and strength, and to those whose losses are so numerous and unfathomable that their names are called out in a musical litany. What the passenger feels throughout this drive in these poems is movement, marching, swaying, bustling, wheeling, rushing, sweeping, movement in the words spilling to the border of the page and in the swinging rhythm of the lyrics from jazz and soul music evoked. It is the insistent, pulsing movement of life in its longing, desire, and tenderness that we feel as we journey with the poet, seeking with him not arrival or destination, but a sense of connection and recognition in the faces glimpsed from the window the poet has rolled down for us. Well, welcome Reggie Harris. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Um, I'm going to do the same thing. Um, I may have to, huh? Onto the post, okay. Um, similar to you, actually, it's a funny thing. My, uh, I'm the last member of my family to need reading glasses. I've got sisters and brothers. And, you know, I also was like, ha, 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 look at me. Oh, they're purple. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I don't know. The purple ones. I don't know. I don't know. Dollar Store. Yes, I love Dollar Store glasses. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I have them in the room of my house. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay. The man with my name lives in another town was born without a pebble in his shoe, went straight home from school, did not get into fights, never ran, obeys speed limits, traffic lights, do not enter signs, has never been pulled over by police, married, fathered three, moved to the suburbs, has every smooth jazz album ever made, keeps his hair cut short, promptly answers mail, returns every phone call the same day, has never seen the Southern Cross or cried beneath the midnight sun, remembers names, his mother's face, plays baseball, basketball, golf for business reasons, loves talk radio, laughs at faggot jokes, undresses women in the office with his eyes, is an early riser, still can't dance, stays in touch with college, high school friends, doesn't mind he is the only black they know. Works out, eats his vegetables, cleans his plate. Never chased a penguin, startled a muskrat, or kissed a man. Always listened, never questioned, never touched a corpse to say goodbye. Is loved by all. You better take these before. Okay. Okay, I'll do it. Thank you. Um, thank you, Kathleen, Lisa, Pratt, Judy, everybody. This is so, it, it's nice to be home. <laughs> um, although I do have a correction, um, I was born in Annapolis. Yes, yes, and thank you. And um, I guess moved here when I was uh, three, 
Um, at least I think I was three. Um, it sort of felt like three. Ob- oddly enough, I think I'd, I'd sort of dated because I remember seeing, speaking of anniversaries, the uh, the funeral for President Kennedy on TV when I was here. So, okay, I must have been around three. So, But anyway, um, so yes, I am from Annapolis. Um, and um, so, um, but Baltimore... I mean, you can't spend the rest of your entire life in Baltimore and not be Baltimorean, so it is good to be home. Yeah. Um, the poet behind the wheel, since you mentioned this poem, the poet behind the wheel is dangerous. Juggling pad, pen, steering column, each traffic light brings forth a line, every yield a different turn of phrase. The speedometer counts out syllable, not speed, and directions come apart under his fingers. Maps lose their meaning. Right? Second left? Gas station? Only words, playing cards to be reshuffled later. Do not get caught behind him. He drives slowly, leads followers astray. Do not honk your horn. It reminds him of Purcell, Armstrong, the walls of Jericho. Do not let him drive you. Buckled up and hours later, who knows where you'll arrive? Um, as I mentioned, um, I, I grew up here, and so a lot of what's in the book is uh, is Baltimore um, and um, different things. And also, um, I'll mention it since they're here, my, my grandfather, who someone mentioned just earlier today, just outside. So Melvin and Edna and, and, and a lot of my family is sort of weaved in, in here um, in a variety of different ways. Um, but in any case... Um, this is a very interesting city to be from, to be in, um, and um, it's not always pretty, but it is always home. <clears throat> Approaching Baltimore. Magic City got that magic city, y'all. Magic City got that magic city, y'all. Magic City got that magic city, y'all. Magic City got that magic city. How the road leans back to where I'm from. The imploded high-rise, empty houses, rows of busted teeth in a crooked smile. Trash-filled corner lots, ghetto Chinese, yakame and ketchup, with or without egg. Six wings and fries. Black-clad homeboys swimming down the block calling, Loose wands, loose wands. Magic City, got that magic city, y'all. As they pull up sagging baggies, bop away. No easy way into this ugly beauty. Once elegant lady in a tattered dress. Magic City got that magic city, y'all. No sweeping vistas from any approach. The highway curves and there. A tangle of overpasses. Bombed out streets behind a scrim of abandoned steel mills and auto plants. Unused loading docks. Magic. Learn to live with love imperfection. The close enough to write whatever will make do. Magic City got that magic city, y'all. Handsome men with knife scars across the face. Exhausted women dragging three chattered children down the street. What happens to a dream transferred, outsourced, shuttered, boarded up? Which ways take you in and which way out? And what grows there? Magic City got that magic city, y'all. 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 Thank you. This is um, 
Baltimore uproar. Um, and finally, one of the few places where I don't have to explain this, Upton Avenue Market Metro Station. <laughs> Which, as you uh, may know if you go up there, there is a mural up there, a, a mural, um, a mosaic, and it's by Romare Bearden. It's an actually it's a real, real Romare Bearden as opposed to an imitation. I suppose. But anyway, this is Baltimore uproar. And I also don't think... Once again, this is why it's good to be home. I don't think I have to explain who these people are that, are, that appear here. Um, <clears throat> get off here. This is a story you've been told. These streets before the trash, the rats, the crackheads nodding to ghost music. That past a distant gleam of notes, sound magicians dreaming, rising from these streets. Diminutive personifications of the beat, rhythm made compact flesh, Flamboyant fly-brim hipsters high on Heidi ho lexographers of jive and our dark lady, transformed from turning tricks to trickster by the music through her songs. From the avenue to the after hours, you could hear it in the changes, the shift from working day to glittering night. Shattered trysts of phrase calling out the turn of a gloved hand sheathed in silver from fingertip to elbow to hide the tracks beneath. Rising from the platform, the scent of gardenias is in the train's retreating roar, leaving departing commuters in spangled shards of sound. These multicolored stones are her petals, a frozen music, always calling, calling back, urging on, rise up, get off here, rise up. Um, one of the things um, that my grandfather used to say um, it, it, it's weird how, you know, you sort of halfway listen when you're a kid, and then as you grow up, you go, you know, they weren't actually all that wrong, those things that they said. Uh, <laughs> um, and those stories, because he always called Billie Holiday, oh, yeah, that girl that lived around the corner. And it's sort of like, well, yeah, Melvin, sure. But then I don't know. I mean, and he did used to hang out on Pennsylvania Avenue, so, so I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, I'm grateful. And as you can hear um, in that and um, a lot of other things, most things that I do, I grew up listening to their music, so I know more about um, Ellington particularly. Um, Ellington was God in, in our house. Um, and music of the 40s and, and 30s than I do of music that I guess technically I'm supposed to know. Um, James Brown, they called that bumpy bump music, actually. In fact, I remember that. Live vividly, so like, you know, really? Um, anyway, um, this is something else that I would hear uh, quite often. My people. Turn the corner and there they are. Loud and wrong, my grandmother says, head already in mid-shake. Used to be a good neighborhood too, my grandfather adds, gripping the steering wheel, unimpressed by these low-rent others moving in, blurring the red line separating white from black, casting dark shadows on their west side dreams. Your people. No, your people. They bounce responsibility for the stoop sitters and boom boxes, chitlins, bright polyester, and afro sheen back and forth between them, their words flying over me, looking out from the back seat at my face in the mirrored glass. Um, as I mentioned, I am from Annapolis, and um, it's on my mind at the moment as one of my relatives recently passed away. 
Um, and um, I realized that um, I had to sort of explain what a Tom Thumb wedding was before I read this poem. We used to have... Um, um, I used to go down uh, with one person. Uh, I think sort of recognizes it. Um, there used to be this thing where you would have children pretend to get married, and there was the whole thing, you know, the bridesmaids and all those. They were little kids, um, and I'm. This is another one of those. Well, did it really happen or didn't it? I. But anyway, so I remember being. I remember the Tom Thumb weddings. I remember being in a Tom Thumb wedding, although perhaps it might not have been quite like this. Dream of my cousin's wedding. We walked down the aisle together, he and I, holding hands, shaking with held-in giggles. Too serious at 13, I am the man atop the wedding cake, come alive with blown-out afro and clip-on tie beside a cloud of gauze and lace. My cousin, billowing, veil-hiding veil hiding the thin hairs of his first mustache. No one is surprised. All seem comfortable with our mocking. Pray this Tom Thumb dress up and pretend will purge us of the thing they fear. Both of us too quiet, different, strange. They have suspicions, other names lying in wait to hang on our thin shoulders if we do not reform, repent, grow out of it. High on communion wine transformed into grape juice, we race to fly out of this church, those clothes, that town, into cities, adulthood, our true names. Seal our vows of escape with a stolen kiss. The Lost Boys. A Requiem. Ricky, who moved away when I was three. Jamie killed in a hit and run, age 10. Wayne fell from a project window, age 14. Keith fell off a bridge, or was he pushed? T.T., Bam Bam, Walter, Little Man, shot in a drive-by over money by Black Charles and Jeep, shot by T's cousin the following week. Jackie took himself out with a gun. Butch, who introduced me to my lover, dead of AIDS. His lover, Jason, waited a whole month to follow. William lost to AIDS. Essex lost to AIDS. Joseph lost to AIDS. Tony lost to AIDS. Melvin, whom I loved but never met. Kenny, fiercest young boy on the block. Everyone called him faggot from age 10. Andre behind bars. Michael behind bars. Emmett behind bars. Lenny behind bars. David and his stunning white fur coat disappeared after his mother's funeral. Stevie, who saw police line, do not cross, could not resist. Baby Johnny, christened, dead in 30 days. Tony on crack, Big K on crack, Patrick on crack, Willie on crack. The Iron Man across the street did PCP. Keyshawn inhaled fire from Freebase while brother Kevin did the white girl and brother Kelvin took the boy. Frankie swimming in a bottle, MD 2020. Jerome in Johnny Walker Red. Ernest in a 40. Tommy in whatever he can get. Joe, not dead, only resting. Nathan, not lost, just gone. Troy, not gone, just not here. Richie, just... The city without you. Thunderstorm and early morning rain. Wind, a drunken boarder who's lost his keys, rattling the windows, the wrong house. Bustling streets continue bustling. Shining towers continue to be named. Traffic lights continue lighting. Treadmill red to green. The city continuing. Settled the way a house is settled into its foundations. Streets continue 
Names continue. Lights continue. Haunted by damp rhyming, a hovering of wings, distant violins, an ancient buzz of bees, honeysuckle bristling on the tongue, bouquet of ashes worrying the nose. Continue. 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 The deferred music, caress of whispers, weight of razored sleep, veiled glimpse of song, oh, Swedish rain, wash the night from me. Continue. Con-tin. Contain. Con-tune. You. Won't be fingers, won't be heartbeat, won't be sense, won't be city, won't be, won't be, won't be, won't be, won't be. Um, thank you. Um, there's a bit of um, controversy. Uh, in New York right now, um, thanks to the <laughs> thanks to the NYPL, uh, NYPL. Oh my God, <laughs> NYPD. That that that, that was a, that's a librarian Freudian <laughs> slip right there, being in Pratt. Call it NYPL. I was like New York Public Library, um, <laughs> NYPD, um, and uh, stop and frisk. Um, this is not a stop and frisk poem, although it sort of applies, but. Um, it's dedicated, in fact, to uh, another organization that had similar problems, um, the, the, the New Jersey State Police. Um, new rules of the road. Make no sudden movements, like from your neighborhood to someplace you don't belong. Keep your hands visible at all times, above your head, in these brand new handcuffs. Speak only when spoken to, or not at all. You have the right to silence. Have proper ID on you at all times. There is no right to travel. Rely only to the questions asked. You have nothing to say. We want to hear. Give the officer only the materials requested. You have nothing to show us. We want to see. Do not leave the vehicle unless told to. You have nothing. Go quietly when arrested. You are nothing. Do not resist. You are a thing. Do not run. You have no rights. Do not say you do not fit the profile. This is America. You are the profile. Uh, two more, the the two poem one. I'm going to use that by the way. Thank you. Okay, fine. Um, out of town. Everyone there reminds you of someone else. That woman in the hotel bar is the girl you sat next to in kindergarten. Those people across the street look like the couple with four bikes you helped outside Walmart last Christmas. The guy at the gas station, always begging change, is here transformed into a banker. The bus driver, your first disastrous blind date in school. Names gather at the tip of the tongue, refusing to go farther. Even you, you no longer look like yourself here, but that other guy, that actor, singer, football player, the priest who married your friend's sister, the hoodlum everyone mistakes you for. 
Walking dusk's quiet, rolled-up streets, you peer into glowing houses that set for dinner tables, the backs of empty chairs, a flickering TV set at the end of a long hall, illuminated by long-held and lost desires, stared through the mirrored glass, searching for the life you could have led. And the last poem that I'll read is um, a pay-in to uh, a place that used to be around the corner, corner, the late lamented Louis, where a lot of us used to hang out <laughs> quite a bit, um, you know, like on lunch, when we, you know, extended lunch uh, from, from, from the library. Um, and um, as many of you may remember, in addition to being a bookstore where you could actually find things that you couldn't find anywhere else, um, except for here, of course, and um, the uh, bar and the restaurant, they also had music. They got some of the Peabody students in to, to play, and it was, it was glorious. Um, so this is, thank you, thank you, Louise. Um, and as I always say, um, warn people before this, um, I should hand out earplugs. I cannot sing. My sister's a singer. Marva's a singer. I'm not the singer. <clears throat> While the quartet plays body and soul, a man strums his lover's back like a guitar. My heart is sad and lonely. Conversations slide to whispers end. For you I sigh, for you dear only. My heart is sad and lonely, all heads nod familiar with the tune. For you I sigh, for you dear only. Ringed fingers splay across a dark-sleeved arm. All heads nod familiar with the tune. You know I'm yours for just the taking. Ringed fingers play across a dark-sleeved arm. I'm all for you, body and soul. You know I'm yours for just the taking. Welcome whiskey's fever in the throat. I'm all for you, body and soul. Behind us, someone whispers, whiskey's a welcome fever in the throat. I can't believe it. It's hard to conceive it. Behind us, someone whispers, are you pretending? It looks like the ending. I can't believe it. It's hard to conceive it. Evening's end plucks the skin like strings. Are you pretending? It looks like the ending. Moving through the changes on a mission. Evening's end plucks the skin like strings. My life a wreck you're making. Moving through the changes on a mission. I spend my days in longing. My life a wreck you're making. In conversation about the measures of the days. I spend my days in longing. History in the repeats. Their destination. A conversation about the measure of their days. Why haven't you seen it? History is the repeats. The destination. I'm all for you. Body and soul. Why haven't you seen it? Conversations slide to whispers end. I'm all for you, body and soul. A man strums his lover's back like a guitar. Thank you, Reggie. Um, now we were going to do the poetry and conversation, and I didn't know if you if you would mind. Do you want to move up to the table? Um, there are mics which I think are on. How you doing? And I'm I'm pleased to be here. This is my first session, and I'd like to thank my wife for bringing me here. I'm a retired law enforcement officer, and I've been writing since 1974, 
And what stunned me was when I was writing, I had an opportunity to hear somebody else say the same thing I did. It happened to me. (laughs) Is to be able to write something and the words flow and then you have to go back and say to yourself, where did it come from? (laughs) So I'm I'm enlightened about it. And uh, it's like someone to see how it flow. If I have any more questions, I'll get back at you. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Um, Yeah, that's an interesting question. Where where, where do they? I guess you know, sort of variation on when do the where do the ideas come from, or how do you how do you come up with things? Um, I think you know. I guess for me, obviously, it's sort of the things I hear or people, you know, talking. I, I, I love listening to other people. Well, sort of love listening to other people talking. Um, or sort of taking phrases or things that I hear um, sort of generally uh, around. And I like the music of the way people talk. Um, and so um, that's where the Magic City thing came from, actually. I was thinking that I was uh, coming back from um, visiting my grandfather, actually, and walking back, and someone was calling Magic City on the street. It's like, okay. Um, and there was a bar called Magic City. Now, I don't know whether or not he was just sort of trying to get people to come in or what was going on, but it just sounded great. So I said, okay, well, gee, maybe I can use that somewhere. So, so, I, so I thanked that person for, for saying <laughs> But you know, um, a lot of times my inspiration came from some devastating things I might have heard on the news or mm-hmm. Heard. Mm-hmm. and then I go home and I've been eating everything and I'm laying back and I'm listening to the night and then all of a sudden it, it, it pops in my head and then the words mm-hmm. yeah and you write them down please all right. good yes yeah yeah I think yeah a lot of us have lost poems because I didn't have a bit of a bit where do you oh just what you were saying reminded me of something that happened a few weeks ago I was walking my dog and there was this kid behind me and he's talking out loud to himself, and except he was sort of talking to me, and he was saying, fire ghost, fire ghost, fire ghost. And hmm. It's like, all right, that's going in a poem. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet, but it's like, that's, that's it's too, too good. good. That's too just good. too good. Yeah. But um, usually sounds, rhymes, something like that, very often they come from very lowly places, television shows and uh, mm-hmm. advertisements. I just wrote a, a poem called X-Ray Specs that was from those old, uh, remember in the, in the comic books in the back mm-hmm. of them they used to advertise them. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really not any lovely esoteric things. Mm-hmm. Um, the poem that I read tonight, the ghost story, that starts out neither hide nor hair, and I was reading, um, who's it, Jennifer Atkinson, her book Canical, The Night Path, and she just used the phrase neither hide nor hair in there, and it had nothing whatsoever to do with what I did with my poem, but it just caught my ear. Mm-hmm. So it's basically anything that catches your ear. That's the answer. Good evening. I've always been intrigued with words, so I started writing poetry at a young age. Have either of you guys, and then Reggie, I know you said that the words were like music to your ears. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about songwriting? Hmm. I have, <laughs> but I have an absolutely tin ear and no sense of <laughs> rhythm, and um, and I just can't. When I listen to music on the radio, I can't even tell you what instrument I'm listening to. So somebody would have to put music in front of me and play it like seventy times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've thought about it, but it, it it's sort of a mystery to me, which is weird. It's sort of a mystery to me how people write songs, um, you know. And uh, you know, great a, a great song is just absolutely. Fantastic, it's sort of, you know, it's something that sort of sticks, and you just sort of remember it forever. It's really fantastic, but I've got no idea how to do it. it it's hard enough for me just to put the words out on a piece of paper. <laughs> Sometimes. Hi, um, I actually just released my first book of poetry, and 
but I, it's been nine years in the making. And mm -hmm. someone said to me that um, their sort of inspiration to begin writing on a serious level came from a tragedy. Mm. And certainly mine came from losing my sister at age 46. It just seemed to take my writing to another level. And so I'm just wondering for both of you, was there that point where the poetry took on something more, more of a meaning and, and compelled you to you know, go to the level that you are at now? Just wondering. I don't write directly about things in my life. I don't say like, you know, my mother died. But after I write the poems, very often I go back and I see, oh, that was about feelings about my mother dying, that sort of thing. And as a matter of fact, I had stopped writing for about 20 years until she died. And right after, well, a few months after she died, all of a sudden I started writing again. Hmm. And I don't know of any direct connections. The first poems weren't about her and they weren't particularly sad. But, And I've talked to several poets since then who either began writing again or their writing took off after their mothers died. Hmm. And we all loved our mothers. I mean, it was nothing... Uh, Against them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I guess obviously some things are related to, you know, that I write about are related to, to losses. I hadn't realized until, um, actually after I sort of put together, put together and other people saw it, how, uh, um, how, how actually one, one, one person said it was haunted, you know, how haunted mm -hmm. it is. I hadn't realized that. It was just, I'm just mm -hmm. writing, you know. Um, and I hadn't realized how it's about, you know, the past and losses and things that you don't, you know, and people that you miss and all of that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think there has to be something. Um, yeah, yeah, I do think something happens after, you know, a traumatic event like, you know, like a death mm -hmm. or a move. And you may not, you know, as Haley mm -hmm. said, you may not even know. But it something gets going, something gets moving, and then you're compelled to start, you know, expressing what's inside you to to sort of to sort of get that out. And it may not be, you know, very obvious, but but it's there. Yeah. Well, I can agree with that because when I started writing in 1974, the process of that was my cup was running over. It was a deep emotion mm -hmm. that I had to let come out, and I think that's when I first found out that I could put my, my feelings on paper. Mm -hmm. And that was more or less better than a psychiatrist because I would be yeah. what I had inside of me. Mm -hmm. so I yeah. yeah, there are times when, I don't, when I'm not writing and I feel itchy. Well, so, mm. well, not literally itchy, but like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you can't... Like, I, yeah. Yeah. It's a very uncomfortable feeling when you yeah, can't exactly. write. Yeah, oh. exactly. You're, you're, you're not completely... New, I, I, I've got to work. I've got, I've got to put something on paper because it's just sort of... Like, uh, uh, so, yeah. Um, hello, Haley and Reginald. I want to thank you both for your pieces that you read this evening. Um, I am I'm probably like most people in this room. Um, I am, well, I couldn't say probably like most people, but I would say probably like a few people in this room, um, that I am an aspiring writer. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to, you know, this might be like, um, self, uh, self-absorbing kind of like a question or something like that. I don't know if, how can you be anything else but self-absorbing, like you're right in a sense. But I, I want to get to a point where I take that next step hmm. out. Right? Hmm. I've been writing for quite some time, um, like twelve years, and um, 
Yeah, I know a lot of people, and um, I don't know, it just seems like there's a fear. So my question is, oh, I won't be so long-winded, I can't help that either. <laughs> but my, my, my question, I guess, is um, where can I really, where is a good place to start in a sense, um, um, I, I guess what's a good place to start to get published? Maybe that's, I guess mm -hmm. that could be the question. Okay. And um, <coughs> I guess a two-part question. Um, and where is a good place before you get published to start? To, to start writing or to start no, getting your no, stuff to start out? to be, you know, the awareness. Thank you. Well, um, I know Barbara, do you want me to, 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 to say that you're here? Uh, but anyway, um, one, of the, one of the journals that was not mentioned is uh, Baltimore Review. And thank you, Barbara, uh, for that. Yes, uh, yes, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, there are a couple of, uh, of poems in there. Um, I think, um, and certainly I think that's, yeah, that is how I started. I started local. I started with the, with the folks that were, you know, <laughs> in the room in some case, or just in, in the area, um, and then branched out. Um, uh, we get this question a lot at Poets' Houses, so therefore I should be, ad be able to answer it a lot better. Um, Poets and Writers Magazine is probably the best location to find out where publications are. Um, and Poets' Market. And Poets' Market, yeah. yeah. I, um, I started yeah. with Poets' Market. Yeah. I didn't know, I didn't come out of the MFA, I didn't know any writers, I didn't know anything. And I just got a copy of Poets Market, and I just read through, and you know, and then I would go on the internet and look up the magazines, and just start sending out. Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely cold. Yeah, yeah. New Pages, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and all of these are on. So that's New Pages, Poets and Writers, which is PW and Poets Market, mm -hmm. um, and all of these are online as well as in print. Well, Poets Market isn't, is it? Well. I don't know. I, I think you might have to pay, unfortunately, now. But oh, I, 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 I don't know. Buy the book. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You're going to just. It's buy, a buy very it. good book, and also, yeah. oh, okay, Poetry Daily and Verse Daily. Yeah. That's one. I don't know if you're aware of those websites. They're marvelous. Every day they have a poem, and it's it's from sometimes a lot of small magazines or small presses you'd never have heard of. That was incredibly helpful to me when I was getting started. Yeah. And it also exposes you to all different schools of poetry and styles of poetry, which is, they're invaluable resources, yeah. and they're free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you do have to start finding, you know, places that are, places that you think, well, they, they, they publish work that's sort of similar to mine, or sort of in the same yeah. vein. Right. Um, you know, um, and so that that's helpful as opposed to just sending it everywhere and not you know actually sort of scattershot. So you so it's a good idea, particularly since most of the journals or a lot of the journals are are online to be able to look at the at, at what's going on and what they've done and sort of say, oh yeah, I sort of like this or this is sort of similar. I like this, but this isn't me. So and sort of did, to do that to do that research and then you know get over that uh, fear of of sending it out. Um, you will be rejected, everybody. Yes. Oh. So, so don't even worry about that. You get rejected all the so time. So don't even worry about that. You know, to sort of spend, you know, a couple minutes going, darn it, you know, what's wrong with them for not taking this bomb and then move on and send it to somebody else? <laughs> I, I want to put one word of caution in here, especially since the Internet. When I first started publishing the Internet, um, Poetry Daily and Verse Daily weren't that big yet or I didn't know about them. But everyone publishes poems that they come to regret that they've published. I mean, <laughs> How many, how many of you published that you would like to go back in time and rip them? And the trouble with the internet now is whenever you, 
I remember I was solicited by this little tiny magazine once, and uh, the wife of the editor had read my manuscript, and so he was familiar with the work, and he requested a couple poems, and I didn't really like them, but it was a new magazine. It was going to have like 300 copies. No one was ever going to see it. (sighs) (laughs) One of the poems that was in there, it got picked up by Verse Daily, it went on to about a thousand people's favorite poem sites. The Blankety Blank Academy of American Poets has it posted oh on gosh. their page. And I hate the poem. And I just and I hate it because I think it got so much attention. I didn't hate it as much at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But be really careful about just because you can get anything out on the internet now and, mm-hmm. and the time will come. When people are like, oh, what does this guy write? And they will Google you, and they will find that poem that you would give anything to get back. <laughs> so, so really keep that in mind. Uh, I just wanted to ask you all to talk about the, um, the live literary community in Baltimore. I, I'm not from Baltimore, so I really don't know anything about it. Hmm. I can tell you a little bit about Washington, but not Baltimore. Well, yeah, go ahead, because we always look down to Washington and go, wow, they're doing a lot. <laughs> um, um, not realizing we were doing a lot also. But, yeah. Washington has tons of, of reading series. I just, I was coordinating a series called The Cafe Muse. I've retired from it now, but they've got IOTA, and they've got, um, oh, what's the one? It meets in a, in a, in a used bookstore. I'm, I'm just blanking on the names. Well, yeah, both oh, Buzz Boys and Poets, and poets um, Politics, Politics and Prose, though you too. really got to be, you either have to have That's two other writers with you or be a huge name to get into Politics and Prose. Yeah. Um, oh, Ken, it's a used bookstore in, in the little antique part of um, Kensington, Kensington Row. That's what mm. it is. But there's tons. I mean, if you just go on the internet and look, there's tons. Yeah. You know, when we were, when I was here, one of the things that we um, wanted to do was. Uh, let let people realize that that there, that there was a lot going on in the Baltimore poetry community. That there was, and probably still is, you know, that you could go to a reading almost every night of the week, um, depending on what you. Well, actually, you could, and you may not like everything, but there was something going on every every night of the week, um, and we tend to forget that. Um, and you know, a lot of it is you know small. There's a great spoken word community both here and, and in DC. Um, and so, I mean, I think that these places are, uh, you know, this area is really very, very vibrant. Um, <laughs> you know, now that I'm in New York, it's almost like there's too much going on. I mean, yeah. there's something, okay, on Friday, is it this Friday, I think, or next Friday? Um, let's see, while well, Poets House is having a program, there are two people that I know that are launching their books. There's another reading. I mean, these are all people that I sort of either met or know or sort of know something about. And it's all, you know, Friday night at 7. It's sort of like, right, okay, let me split myself into five different places so I could show up or else, you know, run in, you know, two minutes wave and then run out. It's, it's, it's almost too much uh, there. Whereas here, I mean, there, there's a lot, but it's sort of manageable, a little yes. bit more man- manageable. And you can sort of find your niche and also jump out of it every now and then and go, well, I, I don't know what this is, but let me try it and see what happens. Well, and I would like to put in a plug as a Pratt Library employee for the Humanities Department up on the third floor. Um, where's Kim? Kim Leith is uh, in the Humanities Department, and Kathleen and Shailene and, and Lisa are all um, in various departments here, but um, I think that, you know, there are tons of poetry books up there, mm-hmm. and 
staff that can also help you find the resor- resources like yeah. um, Poets Market and Poets mm-hmm. and Writers. And so, um, you know, and we have lots of um, author readings, poetry readings here. We have this, this series, which is every month. So um, you should definitely hook up with the Pratt and be one of our friends. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, the journals are here. And also, you know, as you mentioned, the books, you can look at the books and say, oh, well, this person published here, here, here. <laughs> you and know, which is great. Let me just tell you, this this is such a resource, this library. I mean, there's nothing like this where I live. And you, a new library will open up in a very wealthy part of Montgomery County, and I'll go and, like, oh, let me see the poetry shelves. And it's it's Dickinson and Ferlinghetti and a couple mm-hmm. old copies of Best yeah. American and, you know, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, that that's my. I job. mean, they're terrible. Yeah, <laughs> At Poets House, that's my job security. You're talking about it because um, as as the people here know that we do um, pretty much every every year we do a uh, uh, a training a, a, a multi day training um, training librarians in how to find poetry you know uh, reviews and and to get help to get them over the fear of poetry and to encourage them to buy poetry books and actually put them out on display um, you know people aren't checking them out well they don't know that they're there put them out you know um, it's Halloween so where, where's your Poe right you know on the, you know put them at the checkout desk just like you know you got the the magazines and the uh, you know people magazine at the at the checkout just in the stores um, so um, so that's what we've been that's what we've been doing, actually, the Poets House has been doing for, for a number of years, um, to try to encourage public libraries. We figured these are the places where people will learn about poetry, hear poetry, begin to write, actually, um, is, is in the public library. Then. Um, and there was something, oh yeah, and then this year, actually, what we did, we started doing that program, but for children's libraries. So it's sort of an experiment to see if we can get, because, you know, kids, they love to write. Anything, and if it rhymes, or if it's weird, or they they love it. So and little kids are the best they poets in the world. They're they're mar- until about age twelve, then they suck. But yeah. but yeah. up they until then, get self- yeah. you, 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 you get self conscious. I, I know. I know. I read these poems by like eight, nine year old children. I'm like, damn, I wish I wrote that. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. That is really good. Yeah. yeah. I really loved both your works. Um, maybe you could just talk a little bit about one or two poem, uh, poets that have influenced you or that you currently like um, or just other poets that you admire. Um, the, my favorite poet of all time is Marianne Moore. Hmm. And it's kind of my goal to keep her alive because I really think she's she's vanishing from the canon. I mean, when I talk to, to younger people who are but younger, it's just most of the world younger than me who are teaching, and I'll say, are you teaching anymore? And no one's teaching her anymore. So read Marianne Moore. Hmm. And uh, as far as contemporary poets, Frederick Seidel is... Hmm. He blows my mind, and nobody's heard of him. And I mean, and he's with a big press, and he's just so marvelous. And I'm also nuts for Mary Rufel, who has a, a new book out. And uh, who's your, yeah. who are your favorites? Oh wow! Um, who's your favorite lifetime? That's uh, Pablo Neruda. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's an easy one, Pablo well, Neruda. That little fella. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that you know incredible poetry machine, Pablo Neruda. Um, in part because one of the one of the things that got me into poetry was was Spanish, was having to help, you know, that one of the ways to, 
to learn Spanish, but you had to translate these poet <laughs> this poetry. So that got me into Lorca and Neruda and uh, Ruben Darío, um, and uh, and those folks. Um, wow. Um, Huh? Haney. Haney. Yeah, Seamus Haney. Yeah, yeah, we should have to yeah, we should mention Seamus Haney. Um, that amazing uh Irish poet who actually I I my my brush with fame, I met him <laughs> coming <laughs> coming out of an elevator. Um and I can tell you that he actually did have a twinkle in his eye. <laughs> twinkle, that sort of that stereotype of Irish with the tw- he really did. So it was amazing. Um but um yeah, Seamus Heaney, Robert Hayden um, continues to, to to fascinate me, um, and and Gwendolyn Brooks has a larger influence on me than I even recognize. Actually, I don't. You know, she's just there um, constantly. Um, I want to <laughs> um, uh, put in a plug for um, a friend of mine. Uh, yeah, actually, a, a friend of mine, Adrian Majecta, who has a who's up for a National Book Award this year for, uh, for The Big Smoke, yeah. uh, which is a book of poems about Jack Johnson, um, the, the boxer Jack Johnson. Not perhaps a poetic um, subject, but he, he pulls it off. It's really amazing, and he's a, he's a really great guy. Um, and uh, Elizabeth Alexander, um, who's uh, an amazing poet. But I shouldn't. We 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 really shouldn't start talking. I know. I know. We just I'm be like here. Sixteen names, names, names you know, everybody just went through my head. Know, tomorrow I'll go. Oh wait yes. a minute! I should have said. Hello. Hey, I uh, just had questions about um, uh, palindromes, which um, you uh, talked about in your work earlier. Um, I did like a little. I'd never heard the word before. You said it this oh, evening. Oh, I'm sorry. And um, I looked it up on uh, Google. Kind of got a quick uh, little crash course in it. Um, I wanted you to maybe briefly talk about what palindromes are and also uh, talk about your use of them as a poetic device. Okay. Um, A palindrome is a word or phrase that reads the same way forwards as backwards, like in the poem, um, Osoro Bother, Re-Voodoo, Do-Over, which is one I wrote myself and was rather proud of. Um, And I got started with them. um, My brother, who does not read poetry at all, he ran across the palindrome, Red Rum, Sir, is Murder. Yes. Isn't that marvelous? <laughs> and he emailed it to me. He said, this sounds like something you'd put in one of your poems. And I said, you know, that does sound like something I'd put in one of my poems. And I started thinking about that there was music inherent in, in the palindrome. And I just started playing with them. And, and you never know when an idea is going to spark. And I just started playing with them. And I, at first, I stuck a couple into poems I had already written. And then I started writing them myself. And then I was up till dawn writing, I, Nora, came to tote macaroni. You know, <laughs> you, know you, just get, you just get so hooked on them. And, um, and then they started being inspirations for poems, like the, the poem O Sorrow, O Bother. I had that palindrome. I said, re-voodoo, do-over. Okay, it's somebody sticking pins in a doll over and over. And then I had, you know, those friends, and then it turned into a poem. And so, as I said, every poem in that book, except for Black uh, Bad Sheep, has a palindrome in it. I dare you to find them. <laughs> but they're they're wonderfully fun things, and I'm not the only poet who's used them. I, I, I maybe the only one who's written a book in which there's one in each poem, but uh, they're made for poetry.
did you all want to read another, both want to read another poem or two poems? I think we have time. Okay. Did, did, I think that's what, that's up to you. I, I, oh, no, no, I'm fine. I just need a copy of my book. <laughs> I have them all memorized, but if I go to read them out loud, then I go blank. Oh, okay. Because we were talking about language, I'm going to read a very short poem. There's um, a bunch of poems in this book. I found this website called the Grandiloquent Dictionary, and it had all these absolutely marvelous, archaic, and interesting words. Oh, no, I want to do a different one. I like um, really With the Grandiloquent? Yeah. Those are wonderful. They're, they're so much fun. And... Um, is this my book? It has little check marks next to it. That oh, I, that one's mine. Oh, okay. I was, was going to say. Was like, I was going to say. Oh, wow. This one's cool. This yeah, one's cool. yeah no, because they're cool. right-handed I mean, check it's marks. your book, but it's my, yeah. Okay. So now you know which, which are my favorites. Um, oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> see. Um, all of the, these little, they're like little definitions of the word. They're quatrains. And, and my favorite word that I ran across was elacquiable. And what it means is incapable, no, capable of being ensnared which is just so cool. And um, so I was trying to think, you know, what kind of animal's capable of being ensnared? And I wrote this. These ten animals I slam in a net. A flat-foot, knock-kneed flock of fat egrets. A damp lamb, dumb ram, a wing-withered drake. A limp, listless slither of tongue-tied snakes. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines I've ever written in my life, is a limp, listless slither of tongue-tied snakes. Can you say that three times fast? Mm. No. <laughs> Never planned to read that one out loud. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's always the problem. Yeah. Like, oh, gee, this is great, but heaven help you if you read it. Um, this, um, this is a poem for a friend of mine who unfortunately had to leave early, but... Um, but in any case, um, a, a bouquet to those uh, of, uh, of us in, in long-term relationships. The secret of our success. Dishes pile up and get washed. Laundry accumulates and gets done, eventually. Days become weeks, become months, become years. Fall asleep, and it's been a year. Turn over, and it's been a decade. Wake up and it's half your life. The youth-filled thrill unspools into routine, endless as aisles in grocery stores. Passions bank into embrace, a look, a touch, the familiar, the body as warm blanket in winter. Memory betrays, juggling future, present, past. Was there a before you met? Another summer, another birthday, another anniversary, a new year, and your lives go on. Thank you both very much, Haley and Reggie. That, this has been a really great night. I know everybody feels it in, in the room here. Every, they're always special, and tonight this is, just has a real, real feel here. Um, so thank you very much, and just a couple little things. Both Haley and Reggie have books on, for sale at the back of the room, and I think they're both willing to sign oh, if you would like to have that. 
ask one more question. Oh, sure. It's like you have country music, soul, <laughs> and I know it's a different type of poet. Can you elaborate on that? I mean, you know, it's like a country music, soul music. It's, it's, it's different types of poets. Can you? Um, this is what I, 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 I've, I've said to people, younger people now, that they miss, they missed what we had growing up, which is that there was everything on TV and on the radio. You know, I mean, my, my folks used to, I, I watched Hee Haw with my folks, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and the variety shows. I know, you're sort of like, you're in Metro City going, what are you doing watching here? Um, but, you know, and the variety shows where you had, you know, there would be a, a soprano come out and sing an, op- uh, sing a, an opera, a thing, a, a, an aria, and then someone else would do a popular song. There was this whole mix of music that was around you all the time. And yes, you liked, you know, jazz, or you liked soul, or you liked this or that, but you were exposed mm-hmm. to a lot of different things. And now, unfortunately, the radio tends to be whatever is popular, the top ten, or you can just listen to that particular stream on <laughs> on the internet that just plays what you like mm-hmm. and that's it. And you're not exposed to everything else. Mm-hmm. So uh, so and, 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 and I love the mix, which is mm-hmm. the, the the wild conglomeration of different types of music and different type of people and that, that you learn something by 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 these things. I mean and both um, you know, people sort of forget that Ray Charles did a did a country album. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, was which is great, which is where Georgia on my mind is on that country. Yeah. Um, and Charlie Parker was a big fan of country music uh, because of the stories. Right. You know, because there. I mean, and I think that there's there's a line between country and you know and 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 R and B and and all these people that, that that that's what it is. And you learn from this mix from the different ways of expressing the same thing or similar things. Just okay. Well, this one's got a steel guitar, and this one, you know, <laughs> you know, has has an electric guitar or something like that. So, yeah. Thank you, Reggie. I remember that too. Yes. <laughs> Everything on one radio station. It was wonderful. Um, and I really love the last poem. Well, I think next to last poem about Marvin Gaye hmm. in the book. That no. that brought back a lot of songs to me. Um, but anyway, for everyone in the room, books are on sale. Books are for sale at the back. We also have at the very back table some evaluation forms, which if you wouldn't mind filling out, it really helps us give you better programming, any comments or suggestions that you have. Um, And also we have a sign-up sheet in the back. If you have an email you'd like to leave for for future poetry readings, you'll get an email to let you know what's coming. And thank you all very, very much for coming and joining us tonight for a wonderful evening. And thank you again, Reggie and Haley. Yeah.